Our dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you now uh, for this space, uh, for this morning. Uh, we thank you for the sun that has risen. We thank you for the breakfast that we have eaten. Uh, we thank you for the men and women who sit around us as brothers and sisters. Uh, we recognize these good gifts coming from your hands. And Lord, we recognize your word as a gift. And so may we receive it this morning with open hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11, has these words. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Uh, this is a good description of any journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, a goad was a long stick with nails or spikes on it. Uh, and it was used to jab sheep in order to direct, protect and save them. The words of the wise are like goads given by one shepherd. And I think this is our journey through Ecclesiastes. It is odd it's kind of jabbing, uh, it's a little painful, yet if the one from whom these words come from is a good shepherd, then maybe they are the jabs that we need. What, we have, what have we encountered this weekend? Well, Ecclesiastes notes that we live in a world that has been created by God and you and I are in fact part of this created world. Uh, this created world operates in cycles and rhythms that are both beautiful and inefficient. Uh, in such a created reality, we find ourselves facing many different seasons. Because we are creatures and not the creator, we are in a place of incomplete knowledge. We can imagine a future, but we don't know exactly what it is. And the nature of existence is likened to havel, mist and vapour, mist and vapour. Things don't last and things are hard to understand. Now, as a city boy, I bought this uh, probably sad excuse for mist and vapour. However, at dinner last night, I was having a conversation and realised that in Robbo, you guys know mist very well. Um, and so I apologise for this, for bringing this into your presence. You know what mist is. And perhaps every time the mist rolls in, you can just be reminded of God's word in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes also wrestles with the causes of our deep frustrations in life. Uh, and it notes these arise when we seek to assume the role of God and thus trying to control our world and control our lives. We stop living as receivers of God's good gifts, and we become bent on gain at all cost. And this leads us to miss out on the moment that God has gifted us, and even to oppress others for our own reward, which you can read in chapter 4. Thus, at the end of a lifetime seeking gain, we're left realising that nothing lasts and all our striving was not only wasted, but destructive to our lives. 
The words of the wise are like goads. It's true, isn't it? Wisdom literature prods and challenges us. Uh, But that is its purpose. It wants to direct and protect and save you. And so my question today is, how will such a book like this end? Uh, Surely, such a reflection would conclude with a defeated cry to just give up and give in in this topsy-turvy, inefficient world. But no, says the teacher. There are two major conclusions drawn in Ecclesiastes. Remember your Creator and go do something. Remember your Creator and go do something. And uh, I want us to look at both of these in turn. We'll start with chapter 12 and move back to chapter 11. We see this refrain twice in chapter 12. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, verse 1. Remember Him, verse 6. The final two verses of this wisdom book read like this. Now, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. How easy it is to forget the most important things. We get distracted, don't we? Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes presents plenty of things that distract us. The gaining of wealth, the gaining of possessions and power and status, the attempt to control every aspect of our lives, the energy invested into trying to know the unknowable future. But no matter how much energy we place in these things, we're reminded the sun will still rise and the sun will still fall. You will be born and you will die. And everything else will go on as it did. So remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Ecclesiastes encourages us, don't live a life of fantasy pretending that you are God. Remember your Creator now in the days of your youth. When you may still find comfort and contentment and joy from the gifts that He is giving you even this day. Chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes has what you could be argued one of the greatest portions of literature ever on the experience of aging. He writes, remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the streets are closed and the sound of grinding fades. It captures the slowing down of life. But the point of this poem is to highlight the very reality that Now is the time that you have life. Right now, this day. There will definitely come a time when your life starts ebbing away. So make the most of it now. Start by engaging with the God who is behind it all. 
receive the forgiveness that he offers through Jesus, accept adoption into his eternal family, and look for his gifts, his timing, his leading, so that you may serve others. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Fear the Lord, keep his commandments. Verse 6 captures your life. A golden bowl held by a silver cord. It is an image, imagine that, a golden, I mean poetry is meant to do this for us, a golden bowl held by a silver cord. It's an image of genuine beauty as well as breathtaking fragility. It's an image of something both deeply valuable and incredibly delicate. This is your life. You are loved by God. You are valuable. But life is fragile. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. Fear God. Love him, worship him, accept his love, keep his commandments. For this is what will navigate you through a life of mist and vapor, where things don't last and things are hard to understand. It is Jesus, uh, the great wisdom teacher, who urges us to build our lives on something solid. You see, it's Jesus who actually comes to embody these words from Ecclesiastes. And thus he says in Matthew 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. In a favorite book of mine, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, uh, the author, Donald Miller, recalls a trek he made through the Andes. And uh, it's a trek through the Andes to the ancient mountain city of Machu Picchu. Is that how you say it? Machu Picchu? I think so. And I'll read a section from the book. It's interesting. He says, Our guide, Carlos, called us off the trail to a plateau where we looked over the river, now thousands of feet below, onto an ancient Inca ruin that would be the first of many long abandoned stone villages we would pass. He said it was a farming village, a stop on the way to Machu Picchu. Carlos said if we would have stayed on the trail along the river, Machu Picchu was only six hours away. In ancient times, the river was used as a commercial route, Carlos said, but if you visited Machu Picchu on a pilgrimage, you had to take the Inca Trail. When he said this, he pointed towards the Andes, up towards the snow, above the thick trees and the rainforest that rests above the desert valley. Then he said, we would take four days to get there. Why would the Incas make people take the long route, my friend from Alabama asked. Because the emperor knew, Carlos said, the more painful the journey to Machu Picchu, the more the traveler would appreciate the city once they got there. The teacher in Ecclesiastes would, could have saved us hours of reading by simply writing, remember your creator, fear God, keep his commandments. Shortest book of the Bible. Uh, but he didn't. And perhaps because he knew we wouldn't appreciate that life-changing truth unless we walked the long route, unless we asked the uncomfortable questions of our life, unless we took the looming shadow of death seriously, 
unless we were confronted by the fleeting nature of our existence. That is the trail you must walk before you can hear the call to fear God and keep His commandments and find in it absolute and stunning beauty. Jesus said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And this is the first conclusion to take with us this weekend. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And the second is like it. Go do something. It sounds blunt, but that's the call of chapters 11 and 12. Just go do something. The second conclusion to Ecclesiastes is a call for you and I to be active and engaged in the lives that we have been given. Uh, The opening of chapter 11 reads like this, Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. Now, verse 1, ship your grain. It may be referring to exporting crops, or it could also refer to acts of charity, or perhaps broadly to generosity and doing good things. Verse 2, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, could refer to a diversifying of your investments, not putting everything in one basket. Uh, Or it also could refer to generous living. While the exact meaning of these phrases is difficult to tell, they are both calls to action. They are calls for us to have a go, to take a chance, to do something and to be generous. And here is the marvel of the wisdom literature. It is precisely because you and I cannot control nor can we know the future, that such a call to action is given. He then goes on to write, If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will never reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle. For you don't know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Don't sit around waiting for the perfect time to act, because it may never come. I wonder what it would look like for you to turn the uncertain nature of the future from perhaps a fear-laden barrier into a liberating call to action. What about these words from the teacher in verse 9? Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Don't we spend all our time in Christian circles saying, don't follow the way of your heart? And in fact, last year, I was preaching on Jeremiah, a sermon that actually reminds us that our hearts are deceitful above all things. And that is true. Indeed, our recent cultural practice of placing our heart, our desire, as the absolute ultimate authority over everything is fraught with danger. And it is causing great problems. 
But what if your heart is filled and being restored by the Holy Spirit? The reminder of God's judgment is there to lead us to follow the ways of our heart in a direction that honours and glorifies God. Is there a course you want to study? Is there a ministry you want to develop? Well, don't get all anxious, don't get all stressed, just go do it and have some fun with it. Not like some foolish sinner who thinks they're going to create gain, but like some utterly dependent creature, fully aware of God, fully aware that every moment will be judged by God, but fully aware that the course you study or the ministry you develop can be filled with an experience of God. Every calculated risk, an act of worship and trust. And you find yourself enjoying God. Of course, there can be a real spiritual issue here. If you're the kind of person who sits back and waits for the perfect time, but then it never really comes, and so you never act, maybe there is an issue inside you in regards to taking responsibility for your own life that the Bible is challenging you with. Uh, it is a real and serious issue when we find ourselves in the space where we always have an excuse for why we are not embracing life with active decisions. For some of us, it's a deep fear of the future, as Ecclesiastes has already noted. For others, it might be just a deep fear of failure. It could be your own form of protection. You've been hurt in the past, and so you no longer take risks out of fear of being hurt again. Perhaps you find yourself always waiting for someone else to give you permission to act. This is where taking the Bible seriously actually means taking the lives God has given us seriously. And wisdom literature is big on responsibility. Uh, if you are a, a procrastinator, then I'd encourage you to actually explore what's going on for you there. Uh, why are you not adult enough to act? Why do you have to wait until everything is always just right? And these are deep and long-term explorations of who we are and how we engage with the life God has given us. Uh, it's certainly not a call, by the way, for everyone to become an extrovert. Okay, that's not what this is saying here. It's not determining the shape of your action, the particular tone of your action. That is for each one of us, with our own personalities, to wrestle with the Lord and find something that sets us free as we move forward. So it's not about being an extrovert, but it is about acting and stepping forward with the life God has given us. Because to worship God and to follow Jesus involves us being active and engaged with the life He has given us. And if something is blocking you from that, then it's really worth taking seriously. Perhaps to speak to someone and to seek help. Perhaps to speak with a trusted Christian friend, to bring it before God in prayer. In this world that we have been given by God, it seems, according to Ecclesiastes, that being engaged and active 
is a calling for our lives. For when we participate, uh, we grow. Uh, There's a story I read, which I love, about uh, a gentleman called Bob Goff. His family moved into a new neighbourhood, and uh, it was New Year's Day, and they figured no one ever does anything on New Year's Day. You know, you've got New Year's Eve, but New Year's Day is just a nothing day. So their family thought, let's start a street parade. It's a good way to get to know the neighbours, a pretty quiet street. The idea was you'd dress up, there'd be a parade, very American, but parade down the street, and they'd have a barbecue at the end, which was at their house. And so they went around the neighbourhood, knocking on doors, saying, hey, we're going to have a street parade for the neighbourhood, you've got to dress up, come down, we'll have a barbecue at our place at the end. There was only one rule, which was there were no spectators allowed. Uh, you couldn't watch from the footpath. We don't want to see you peering out of the window. If you want to be part of the parade, you have to be involved. You have to dress up in something and come with us. Now, that first year, they got 12 people in the street, had a barbecue at the end, but they did it every year. And over the years, it has grown, and now there are several hundred people who come for the New Year's Day parade. There are people who fly in from other parts of America back to their old neighbourhood to take part in the parade. Now, again, very American, they have a king and queen of the parade which is usually either someone from the nursing home, which is on the street, or uh, perhaps one of the neighbours who had just had a really tough year. And it's become this great blessing for the community. Uh, But the rule has always been, there are no spectators. You must take part in the parade. Because the theory is, when we participate, uh, we grow. Christian faith encourages us to walk alongside each other, uh, to accept help when we need it, and to seek to understand and move past the barriers that are holding us back. Uh, This may take days, it probably takes months or years, but it is the trajectory that God invites us into as his children. Through all the highs and lows of Ecclesiastes, the brutal honesty, the confronting reflections, the confessions of pain, we come to a conclusion that invites each one of us to reconnect with the God and the life that he has given us. Uh, This is our Machu Picchu, this is the shape of wise living, and this is what a follower of Jesus is to be marked by. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth and go do something. Have a go with the life that you've been given. These are the goads, the nudges (laughs) that the teacher wishes to give you and I through God's word. Uh, They are here to direct and protect and save us You can only enjoy the beauty of the snow globe by shaking it up. And I wonder what God is calling you towards through these words over the weekend. That's only a a question that you can answer as you reflect and meditate and pray on God's word. Uh, But I certainly hope that these words from Ecclesiastes have been a blessing and have spoken into your life wherever you may find yourself and whatever season you are currently in. So I'm going to pray and ask that God may lead us uh, in these two tasks, that we may remember him and that we may do something with the life he's given us. Let me pray.
Uh, dear Lord and Father, we do thank you for the life that we have received. Uh, a life that is indeed a little topsy-turvy, a life that is often filled with uncertainty, as well as joy and happiness, a life that is filled with seasons of mourning, as well as seasons of dancing, a life that is filled with smiles and also filled with tears. But it is a life that you have given us. Lord, we do thank you that through our Saviour Jesus, our future is secure. That you have an inheritance for us that will never perish, spoil or fade. But we recognise that, that is often, it is often difficult for us to know exactly what to do tomorrow. Or Tuesday. Or even next month. So, Lord, as we navigate the uncertainty of the coming days and weeks, I ask that your Spirit will guide us to remember you and that you may lead us to do something with the lives you've given us, to continue loving and serving those around us, to take a risk and to not put the weight of the world upon its consequence, but rather to perhaps have a lightness we don't know what the future will hold, but help us to make decisions that honour you, that love you and love others. And so whatever that looks like for each one of us today, uh, please guide us by the power of your spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.